Okay, everyone, welcome back to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, the special Halloween Lion Chat episode. Today, I have my co-host, Danny Faye, with me. Danny, welcome back. Thanks. Nice to be back. I hope you enjoyed your vacation. Yes. Aruba was amazing. It was everything that everybody ever told me, just 85 and sunny. Some days it even got up into the 90s. A nice little breeze off of the ocean, too, so it kept it cool. Although when that breeze wasn't there, it was it was steamy hot. So it was awesome, though, to be down there. Had a really fun time at the wedding. Kind of got me away from Penn State football and from the Yankees. So good for <laughs> the Yankees, not so good for the Penn State football, though I was happy to see that they won. But <laughs> it was definitely a lot of fun, and I'm happy to be back and recording with you. Yeah, happy to be back too. There's been a lot going on since we've last talked. So, and our Yankees is, I think, the number one thing <laughs> that was a little bit disappointing to us and definitely set us off track for like a couple of days, at least for me. I was like, don't talk to me. I'm just going to show up and do what I need to do and I'm going home. But um, yeah, tell me about what you thought about the overall season, what they did good, what you want to see more of. Because I'm interested in what you have to say. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it was an amazing season. I, I don't, mm-hmm. I, I, I subscribe to the whole Derek Jeter, George Steinbrenner attitude that you should set out to win the World Series. I mean, obviously that's why you play the games, but if you don't win the World Series and you still have a really incredible season like the Yankees just had, it's just so difficult for me to discount the 162 games and plus however many they played in the playoffs and say that was a failure. So just right there alone, I I enjoyed this season probably – I mean, I enjoyed the 2017 season because they those baby bombers kind of came out of nowhere last year. I don't know, I don't know what it was. It just never felt like it was something special. This year definitely felt special, and I don't know if it was the injuries and the amount of adversity that the team had to overcome. I mean, that alone right there is always going to be something that I look back on as something that was just a, a real differentiator for this team versus pretty much any other team that they've ever had in their team history. And I think I they, in major league history, there's never been that many injuries for one team in a season. So for them, they overcame all that, won 103 games, won the division. It was just a lot of fun. I mean, that team from Cameron Mabin would talk about it. CeCe Sabathia would talk about it. So many of those guys would talk about just how close they were and how much fun they would have in that whole – Next guy up attitude. I read a story from Lindsay Adler, who's the athletic Yankee beat writer. And this was probably in July or August when those injuries were still piling up and we're trying to figure out, you know, what's going on and are we going to have enough of a cavalry to get through to the playoffs, which obviously we did. But at the time she was talking about judge gave a speech in spring training. So they have 40 people on the roster, the active roster all time. And obviously not all 40 people are on the major league roster. Some of those players are in AAA just waiting to get called up for injury replacements or if somebody's slumping and they get released or cut or whatever it is. And Judge gave a speech. I don't know if he does this every year, but it really made a lot of sense this year. And he said to the whole team, he's like, every single one of you will be called on at one point or another throughout this season. We need you to be ready. Something along those lines. 
I mean, from my niche and perspective, Judge is obviously the quote unquote unofficial captain, right? But for him to say that and then for the team to actually go out there and execute that, like that's what really stood out for me this year more than anything else. Because it's like one thing to say all these great things about how you want to execute and how you could have done this and you could have done that. And I throw a lot of shade at the Red Sox. They drive me nuts though, because they complain all the time about how this didn't go right, how that didn't go right. And they go up and down and yeah, they have four world series championships this century and good for them. I can't stand how they run their organization though, because they make excuses for everything. Whereas not one person this entire year in public, maybe behind the scenes, we're not privy to that, but in public, nobody made any excuses. Anytime anyone went down with injuries, that didn't take into effect when you know, Herman is getting suspended for the domestic abuse investigation. And that's a whole separate conversation, obviously, and something that Major League Baseball is investigating to this day. But there's just so many things that the team needed to overcome and it never felt like it was too much to handle. This is just from a fan perspective, right? So I can't even imagine being in that clubhouse and just knowing that if somebody went down or if somebody was slumping and that next person in the lineup or that next person in the dugout needed to step up and just knowing that they were going to have your back, that's got to be an amazing feeling. It's such a close knit culture and environment. So it was an amazing season. I don't know. Obviously, I wish that we're recording on the night of Game 7 of the World Series, and I wish it was the Yankees playing Game 7, although my anxiety would be through the roof tonight if it was. but We wouldn't be recording. Yeah, we, we wouldn't be. <laughs> We'd be doing some other things to uh, calm our nerves for the next three hours. Yeah. <laughs> but it really was an amazing season, and uh, I'm going to – probably have a difficult time liking a team as much as I did moving forward. I mean, if they win a world series, obviously that's easy for me to like a team, but just like the entirety of a season feeling so connected to them from a fan perspective, 2019 was pretty special. Although we didn't get the actual or the ultimate goal, I guess. I a hundred percent agree. And that's one of the things I wanted to bring up from my point of view as well, is it always looks like they, we're winning for each other, not necessarily anyone else. I went to like two games this season when I could, one over the summer and one a little bit before that, but it just like they're in like their own little bubble. And the <laughs> whole thing with next man up, like they're, they're like they're bought in and that's what they're going to do. And they did it the, the entire season all the way up to the last pitch. And like literally like um, when DJ had that home run, I was like, they know they're still in it. Like it doesn't matter. Like their mindset is absolutely something that any team can look at and see it. And that's crazy because you can talk about it all you want, but if even the fans can feel it, it's like a different energy that you're bringing to the field and off the field. Like you said, like no one ever did anything that was like representing the organization poorly, like like the Red Sox always complaining about something or, I mean, sure. In the moment you're like, what the heck bad call. But I mean, even with Brett Gardner, like he used his energy, his angry energy into something that was like carried along the entire season. And that's just something that even hyped up the fans even more. And like Cameron, Cameron Maven, like didn't play a ton, but he still executed when he did play. And he was, he also like took over this, role that was so important 
I mean, he's the home run hugger, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And the whole thing with the savages, I mean, I got a shirt that says savages got a hug, like being my teammate, <laughs> we went all out and it's from the Cameron Maven foundation and all the money goes straight to kids in uh, the Bronx that don't have like school supplies and all of that. So even off the field, these guys are just crazy good at what they do and being a good human overall and something that some people that you can learn multiple things from. And I think it will be one of my favorite teams so far and never every day they had a game. It was a consistent energy throughout the day, even from me. I was like, I can't wait to the game and I get that when I play. (laughs) So (laughs) it was kind of cool to like, I mean, you always get excited for your team, but it was different this year. And we're very proud of them. So what do you think about, so obviously the Yankees have some star studded players, right? Whether it's Judge, Stanton, although he didn't play a whole ton this year, Tanaka, there's a bunch of really star powered players, but I feel like some of the teams in the past were even more star studded, if you will. And I don't know if that played into, it just got old after a while. Like it's nice to see, a Gio Urshela, for example, just come out of nowhere. I don't know if that's really the right phrase because he's a major league baseball player. Like you don't, you don't literally just come out of nowhere to play in the, in the major leagues, but his career up to that point, I mean, he, he almost like tripled or quadrupled his career production in one season. And I think he played maybe like a handful of seasons before that with the Indians and some, a couple other teams. So I don't know. What do you think about just the having players who maybe were more of a role player, like a DJ LeMahieu, who obviously had an MVP caliber type season, but he could play first, he could play short, he could play second, he let off, he batted all over the batting lineup. And these guys that can just do a little, they're so like in the corporate world, they could be like a generalist, right? They could do a little bit of everything. Do you think that played into either one of us, the way that we perceive this team and that maybe that we liked them a little bit more because they were a little bit more well-rounded? I think so for sure, because I know from my point of view, like Brett Gardner has always been one of my favorites and he, he can bat around the line, like yep. bat any spot in the lineup and, yeah, he plays point. and he's where in the outfield. But I definitely think when you have those people willing to give anything and any use anything in their arsenal to be able to win, I even or even get the job done in the workforce. Like I think that will always bring you respect and trust in your ability, in your own ability, and also the people that you're with. But I do believe that just the like what I was talking about, the energy and the vibe that they're giving off, and like that was always something that I can identify the Yankees with is being blue collar and doing whatever it takes, and. I love, I love those guys that have more than one position or more than can bat and do different things. Like Gardner can put down a button and beat it out. Like that's a long base path, (laughs) (laughs) but I love, I really do think that people invested their belief in these guys due to that, that they are more than willing to do anything or try anything. It's not even if they would succeed, they would try anything. And I do think that, that's why the fans were so on board this year. Do you want to make a way, way, way too early prediction for 2020? <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, the, with uh, Larry Rothschild leaving, 
So I do think with the I do think we need an ace for our staff, if anything, you know. And I think it was something that the Yankees have lacked, but I do think they were managed. The staff was managed very well. And uh, what were we talking? Who was the pitcher that went in and then watched somebody? Adam. Him? Yeah, Adam Adovino. Yeah. 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 So they weren't giving those guys any wiggle room, which I respect. But I think that at least with that, we can have a little bit more success. So I don't know. I'm always the positive thinker <laughs> in the group. So I don't know. We're going for the World Series. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, it's obviously way too early. Still have Game 7 to play tonight. This season's not even <laughs> over with, but I guess we'll see. I, I do – so I liked how Paxton came into his role a little bit this season towards the end especially, although his postseason probably wasn't completely up to what he wanted to give, but he's got that ace mentality, kind of like Tanaka where they're, they're perfectionists. Like they want to go out there and dominate every single time. And I think Paxton is – being a southpaw and being a little bit younger than Tanaka, a potential ace for the team just maybe took him a half year to get settled into New York. Like we have to remember these, these people are, they're humans. So the acclimation process for, he was living in Seattle across the country for the last few years and having to acclimate over to New York with pressures that come with that. And so I think maybe we already have an ace in house. We also Got to remember, Luis Severino barely pitched this year, and he can come back and be an ace. So, I mean, those are three guys right there that they stabilize a little bit. They just have to find some reinforcements. You know, maybe somebody to replace C, obviously, because he retired. And maybe I don't know what they're going to end up doing with Jay Happ if he's going to get the Sonny Gray treatment and get shipped out of here. But that's, uh, you know, I think what Brian Cashman is at least hoping is that those guys all come back fresh and you know, in form for a full season and, and can provide that stability, at least at the top of, rota- at the top of the rotation that uh, maybe they lacked at times this year. And to your point about Rothschild, so I read when Rothschild left, and I didn't even know this, that they had, so they have a hitting coach and like a hitting instructor, I guess. I, I don't remember what the phrase was for it, but somebody that paired with Marcus Timms, who is the hitting coach. And apparently they're thinking about going that route. I saw today that uh, the university of Michigan pitching coach is actually one of the front runners for the position. I don't know if that was just smoke. I saw on Twitter or how true it is, but they, somebody had said that they might end up doing something the same way where they have like the quote unquote traditional pitching coach. And then they also have this instructor or whatever word they used for it. So it'll be interesting to see they, they fired or, let go, I think is the nicer phrase they like to use of pretty much everybody in the pitching staff, um, like every pitching coach in the organization, except the AAA pitching coach, I believe. So, and they just hired last year, like a new pitching guru that like leads the whole department. So they're definitely changing like their philosophy. I wouldn't be surprised if it's similar to what the Astros do, for example, where the spin rate and those type of things, not to say that like Rothschild couldn't do that, but you know, he's an old school guy and maybe he just didn't pick up on the analytics as much or trust them as much. And I think that's, if you have the biggest analytics department in baseball, you might as well use that money to get those guys in, in those positions. Right. Oh yeah, of course. But uh, speaking about hitting coaches, I, 
the organization, I'm not going to say anything I'm not sure about. The organization, I don't remember, and the person, I don't remember. But some one baseball organization just hired their first female hitting coach. She's in AAA. Okay. But she, my coach used to play with her. Oh, really? So, yeah, so she gave her a call, and she was like, she told her about it, but that's huge. So that was just like a side note. But first female hitting coach in the MLB, AAA, though. I'm trying to look it up and see who it is. I want to give them a shout out. Yeah, I'll have to look for it sometime offline. Maybe we can include it in the show notes. Maybe it's inside scoop and I didn't even know about it. (laughs) Yeah, hey, we're breaking news here. We're like ESPN and Barstool. Something like that. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we can talk about the Yankees all offseason and speculate and predict and try to figure out what they're going to do from our fan perspective. But I know we wanted to move into another baseball centric thing that happened. And it's an unfortunate incident that happened just before the world series. Actually, after the Yankees lost game six to the Houston Astros, there was an incident in the Astros clubhouse with the former GM who shouted some things that, let's just say they weren't really great things to say about an individual who had gone through an investigation for domestic abuse. And he said it right in front of a bunch of women who were reporting from the clubhouse and said it, I think explicitly to a woman who was wearing a domestic violence abuse. She's an advocate to stop it. And she's wearing one of those wristbands and it uh, made the news But what happened after that was what was even more disturbing, I think, than initially what happened. I mean, people get hyped up in the moment. They say things that they don't actually mean. People make mistakes. Like, I'm not trying to say that this guy, you know, shouldn't, obviously he shouldn't have said what he said to start with, but people make mistakes. Where things really went wrong, though, was the Astros organization saying that Stephanie drawing a blank on her last name right now. I'll get it in a second here. But Stephanie, who reported it, they said she fabricated the story and that it wasn't true. And basically, we're just trying to discredit her credibility as a reporter. Uh, this thing dragged out over the course of a couple of days in between the end of the championship series and the World Series and uh, ultimately culminated with the firing of the assistant GM for the Astros. A couple really poorly put out statements by the Astros organization, still not admitting defeat. And then finally, the owner met with this reporter and retracted their original statement. Although even that statement was a little less than ideal, I think, given everything that they had probably put her through and the credibility stain that she got as a result, no matter what happens moving forward, there's still going to be people that just don't like her. And they think that she was out to get the organization. And it's just this big web mess. And I know you want to talk a little bit about your perspective from you're taking an ethics class right now. Interestingly enough, I just want to say, as I wrap up my less than ideal recap right there that I think the biggest lesson that I can take away from this is that we just need to be better at understanding how to communicate what we are trying to say. I don't believe that the Astros 
were explicitly trying to blackball this woman who reported it. But the way it all came out was really bad and it doesn't look good for the Astros. It doesn't look good for the owner. It doesn't really look good for baseball in general, a sport that's trying to achieve some more gender equality. And it just seems like every time we take some steps forward with that, especially in sports, we take like 20 steps back when something like this happens. And it's super unfortunate. It was a really messy situation, but I think my takeaway is that we can just be better at understanding that we're all humans, no matter what gender we are. And let's just communicate like you'd want to be communicated with. If you think that somebody said something or somebody saw something wrong, just say something to them about it. Don't you know, try to ruin their career. <laughs> you know, Just go down this mm-hmm. rabbit hole that it just didn't end well for uh, really anybody, in, in my opinion. I, I don't... I, I don't know that reporter personally, but I'd have to imagine that her credibility took a hit, even though she was right the entire time. So I don't know, maybe maybe there's a way even from her perspective that she could have cleared things first with the organization so that they weren't caught off guard. Like, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, it doesn't necessarily need to be a, a one side versus the other. Like, we can just yeah. treat each other like humans. And I mean, that's that's a pretty damning accusation to make on her part in the report. And then obviously it was even more damning for the Astros to say that she fabricated it when she didn't. That's my take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't have like too, too much to say about it because you wrapped it up very nicely, but I am taking a media and ethics class right now. It's all about reporting journalism, anything in between and basically uh, what the right thing to do with it is. And I'm coming from Stephanie Abstein's her name's her name is, yes. uh, point of view she honestly if she even if she heard it from afar like that in the journalism world if she wanted to report about that she has more than a right to Mm -hmm. so it's interesting because it is something that not necessarily a sports writer would talk about but i think that she brought it up because she feels so strongly about this the topic i mean she had the wristband on like you said and everything and i mean she knows and i'm more than sure that she knew that all this backlash was going to come back at her. And I really think she had to make a decision, a moral decision, her, like what she morally values and says, okay, I know this is going to backlash, but is this what I, the person I want to be? Like, I'm already saying I'm an advocate for backing this up, but from the other side of things with the Astros, I think she really could have said, like that, like she could have had an ethical decision to approach the organization, like you said, and approach them before reporting about it. So I do think that both sides are button heads and from an ethical point of view, which always comes up in my ethics class, both sides had wronging, like ha- did wrong. Obviously the initial saying, the not checking the decision of wanting to post it without the organizations even talking to them. It's, I mean, she didn't need permission from them, mm-hmm. but because she was probably going to upload it either way, but just saying like this is happening and maybe the Astros wouldn't have reacted. So like on the spot and have would have reacted in some ways that they would want to now looking back at it. But um, just always when what we're taught in that class is, 
I mean, if you believe in it, if you think it's ethical, if you think that it needs to be out in the world, which she probably did think about, and then we're, we're reporting it. Yeah. So that's all I really have to say about that situation. It's a shame it did happen, but I mean, stuff always happens like this. And like now we're talking about it and it has like even brought up the conversation again. So why not? Like when stuff happens like this, it's the only the, the thing that we can take away from it is how can we be better? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really unfortunate event. And I think just from an overall standpoint, we can be better as humans and that's, I guess the biggest takeaway, but all right. So let's wrap up our conversation tonight. Obviously we just finished up or you just finished up. I'm not part of the team, but you just finished up uh, fall ball at Penn state. And I know you were dealing with a little bit of an injury, but why don't you tell us a little bit about what that experience was like? I know you mentioned maybe change your perspective a little bit. What was that all like? Yeah. Um, this was my first injury that really took me out of games and in my entire life. So this was a little bit different to me. And today was actually the very first time in six weeks that I got to swing a bat. So very uh, cautious with my back injury, which is more, I mean, it's fall season. We can take our time, you Mm -hmm. know, and almost I was telling, like I was telling you, it's almost like a reset mentally and physically because my role had to shift and I never really had the role of, Oh, I, I can't do anything. Cause I'm a doer. Like if you need this, okay, I'm going to go do it. But more of, of more trying to be vocal. Let me feed the machine for you. Like I'm not doing anything. I have treatment in 20 minutes. I can feed the machine for you. Uh, just being more like not in my head as much, but appreciating the small things. Like I was able to do some movement stuff this past week with like no bat, but just kind of feeling my load and feeling it, not doing anything like vigorous yet, but just being so happy to do one thing that kind of made me switch my mentality to like, Oh, when we get to hit together, like at six in the morning, sometimes just because that's how our schedule lines up or when we're running together and we're all dying, like (laughs) it is the little things that adds up to like the stuff that you're going to remember. And I think I've mentioned that before, but it's more like personally after you have like an injury of what is like kind of next, like what is the next thing I can do? Like I cannot wait until I can hit front toss just because it's front toss. And like, I'm not one to really stay out of the cages or the gym that much. So this was definitely, and still is, I mean, it's not over yet. I'm going to have to deal with this for the rest of my career. Like it was definitely hard, like hard on me to kind of shift that mentality and I'm still like learning. I don't like know really know where to go with it. I'm like, I'm speaking to my sports psychologist through Penn state. He's great. Dr. Olson and kind of just finding like ways that I can kind of keep my head on straight when I do get to speed up, but I can't really, like I really have to be checked in on my body or I'm not going to really get anywhere. But overall the team is looking good and we all um, are starting from square one from our, uh, swings, which I really respect the coaching staff for doing because it's kind of um, something that the underclassmen definitely need. But as an upperclassman as well, I'm so on board for it to be a fresh start. So we literally started that mirror work after our season. We wiped <laughs> everything and we're going to look at our load in the mirror until 
it looks good and then we're going to move to the T and then until that looks good and on and on and on. But I'm really happy with how the girls are like meshing for sure. Uh, We just started last night, a thing called accountability buddies. And we made a promise to ourselves as a team that we have our weekends off. So every day we're going to try to do 10 minutes of something I mean, we all know that no one's going to go in there and set a timer for 10 minutes and be like, oh, my 10 minutes is up. I got to go. Like, no. But we all know that you can find 10 minutes in in our busy schedule. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of exciting because I think it's going to really help bounce around the um, to stay motivated for the spring because it is going to be a long three or four months in the cages and in Haluba. But really happy with how things are going. Really happy I got to swing today. Back on track. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's really cool, the accountability buddies and kind of doing it on a condition of merit, right? Just not actually setting the timer, like you said. And I'm curious, though, as to your mental psyching as far as – so you're dealing with the injury, right? And that's hard enough, and you're not exactly sure how long it's going to – linger how it's going to affect you especially when it first happened how did you go about just dealing with that but also being a supportive advocate for the team like if somebody is listening to this and they're also dealing with an injury whether it's in softball or any other sport and they're maybe feeling a little bit down on themselves and you don't want that to bleed over into your team right because that you know just takes one bad apple to (laughs) really destroy a culture so i'd love to hear from your perspective how you went about that and if you even if you struggled with it maybe a little bit uh definite definitely got obsessed with things that i could control i couldn't control my swing i couldn't control my craft of the player that i wanted want to be but i ended up being really obsessed and i still am with like my food and like my diet and like doing my arm care or anything upper body that I could. So I think like one day I was like, just let me do like a few curls with like this five pound plate. I, like it wasn't even heavy. And it, we were at lift and I was like, I can't not do something. I'm very antsy when I'm sitting still, especially <laughs> when I'm around the sport I love and I can't touch a softball. Yeah. <laughs> but um, definitely I think, moving that energy to something that is 110% controllable. And like I make my food every night and I pack it for the next day. And I have like a little sticky note because it takes 21 days to create a habit. And I want this to stay. And every day a day is done, I peel off the sticky note and throw it in the trash. But and the next number is written on it. So I'm at 19 right now. I'm not very good because I cheated over the weekend, but, um, (laughs) definitely went since that's something I've noticed. I've been really almost like addicted to creating something that I know is controllable every single day. Yeah. Very cool. Well, obviously hope that keep healing up there and take the time now that you're in the off season to really get it right. So that when you hit those cages in the spring, you're ready to go and ready to play. But It'll be interesting to you know, see how you continue to build off of that and just some of those new habits that you've had to learn through that adversity and see if you pick up on any of those lessons from our Yankees too. Anything you want to leave us with before we let you go for the night, Danny? 
Are we doing motivational quotes? Sure. We can do one. All right. One of my faves is uh, the fact that you aren't where you want to be should be enough motivation. And that came up in our team meeting last night. So like this morning, I sent something similar to the group message. And I was like, who do we want to be? Like, just think about it. Who do we want to be? So did you come up with like a full team message as far as that goes when you were talking about it that? Was, it was just something like, uh, so it, it was like a picture and it said decide. Like decide, get up and decide. Who do you want to be? Do you want to be a kinder person? Do it. Do you want to be a better player? Do it. It was kind of just giving a whole bunch of different situations, both from like an athlete point of view and a human point of view, like being just being a good person like we talked about. But it was everyone liked it. So, I mean, we're all in. And just the fact that we aren't like we didn't go undefeated our, our fall season. Like just the, that fact like burns in us and should <laughs> it should be enough motivation to come out in the spring in our first game is Cal, like that's all that's on our minds. So yeah. Awesome. So mine's kind of a quote, but I kind of have to wrap it around a story. I saw this today actually. So it's from Kobe Bryant and somebody asked him if he was guaranteed that he could win a ring. If he came back, if he would come back out of retirement and play in the NBA. And his response was something along the lines of, no, I liked getting them the old fashioned way, but he liked working for his rings, <laughs> which I found totally yeah. in line with Kobe's personality, obviously, but just really interesting, especially from that conversation that we had on one of the previous lion chats about working hard and just putting in that effort to get what you're ultimately trying. You know, just, it works well with what your motivational quote was to say that where mm -hmm. you want to get to, you got to put that work in. Like nobody's going to guarantee you like that, that world doesn't exist. Right. So it's, yeah. you gotta, you gotta actually earn those championships and earn those wins. And I just thought that was a really good reminder from the Mamba himself that you have to oh, yeah. work real hard to get what you want. <laughs> I love it. Going off of basketball. LeBron James Taco Tuesday has inspired me to eat tacos every Tuesday. Since <laughs> he has made that up, but love those guys, both of them, huge fans. But yeah, they're both great. They're both Lakers, although Kobe was a Lakers entire career, and LeBron's just getting into it. But well, we could be picky, I guess, later on in life. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, all right, well, let's get out of here for this episode. And Danny, thank you for hopping on again we are back on the podcast for a guest episode on monday so if you're listening please tune in for that guest episode this coming monday and